Hello, hello, hello. How is everyone doing today? Seriously, how is everyone doing? Just take a second, take a beat, and think about how you'd answer that question. I'm good. I went to go see Madonna over the weekend. I did. I did. And I've got to say, it was the best concert I've ever been to. And I don't say that lightly. I do not. I was in the front row for the Rolling Stones when I was eight months pregnant. And I went to Elton John and made a third baby in Fargo, North Dakota, and then named my baby after Elton John. Okay, I've been to some concerts, but Madonna brought it. I, w- I was just so inspired and blown away, and I adore her. We should try to have Madonna on this podcast. Maybe, is that crazy? I don't know. Who knows? Maybe she wants to come on to talk about Ballerina Farm. You know what? Stranger things have happened. They have. Now on to today's episode. Sometimes I worry that I am starting to sound a little bit like a conspiracy theorist, because I talk so often about how social media is probably one of the biggest things that we're going to have to wrap our brains around over the next 10 years. It's true. Pandora's box is open. We are never going backwards in terms of technology. And therefore, I will yell from this soapbox forever that social media literacy is media literacy. I was thinking about this this morning. I was watching the new Daily Show with Jon Stewart. Did you guys know that Jon Stewart is back? Because everything old is new again. And so he debuted this week with a new show, and three million people watched it. That's a lot of people. 8.5 million people follow Ballerina Farm. I just thought those were nice numbers to put that in perspective, to put how many eyeballs are on a certain feed of content. Because there are more eyeballs on small screens scrolling through influencers than there are people watching the majority of TV shows. Even the debut of a highly anticipated TV show that people have loved for a long time. So today, we are going to talk about social media literacy and why it matters. We are joined by media critic and writer Caroline Burke. You may have seen her stuff on Katie Couric Media. You know I love Katie's website, and I adore Katie. I adore Katie so much. We're talking to Caro about the different ways to parse the social media industrial complex to make it healthier for us. We're going to dive into the lack of literacy in Congress around social media, why Ballerina Farm should be called a brand and not a person. Caro talked about this on TikTok, and her TikTok was viewed 2.5 million times. We're also going to get into why our brain feels like it's overheating when we're on social media for too long, and how our parasocial Instagram relationships are making us buy more stuff. So much to tackle today, my friends. So this topic is one of my, like, passion topics, and I think it's one of yours, too. I want to talk about how social media literacy and criticism is media literacy, and how if we don't talk about it, I really think we're in for a world of pain in the future. Yeah, I mean, I obviously couldn't agree more, I think. It's something that I spend a lot of time thinking about. So I'm, yeah, I'm eager to dive into it with you. I still think that cultural criticism when it comes to social media 
gets written off. Mm. And the fact is that the train has just left the station. There are more eyeballs on these small screens than there are watching the majority of TV shows. And I would, I would just love someone to go to a man on the street to ask people who their congressperson is and then also ask them about, like, their, t- their top five favorite TikTok stars. Because it's true. I just think that people on social media have more influence now than politicians and also traditional celebrities. So I, I want to hear your take on all of this. Yeah, you know, it's so interesting because I think that I have experienced this in a very personal way in the last month. So I'm 30 years old. I've worked in media for a decade. I have done a lot of um, work on social media and I've written about social media. And so I've had like a relatively public life, but I had never spent any time on TikTok before. I just hadn't really found a purpose for it. I was kind of afraid of it. And I have spent the last month on TikTok reaching a wider audience than I had previously for the last 10 years. Like I I worked to build up my Instagram following over, you know, seven years. And today I surpassed it after a month on TikTok. And it's it's been really exciting in one way, but also terrifying to realize the level of machine that is taking place and how it almost feels like being on TikTok in particular, you're seeing the next wave of social media. And kind of realizing just how quickly, like you said, the train is moving. Like, I, you know, I, I'm amazed at how quickly the conversation takes place. And when I watch for my full time work, when I watch someone, a congressional hearing about social media, it's terrifying to me. The lack of literacy we have at the highest level of Congress about something where people are spending all of their time getting all of their information, having all of the cultural conversations, and we just barely understand it. Totally. And I will be the first person to say, I still barely understand TikTok. I am a person <laughs> who I, I, I cover social media. I, I do say now and with pride that I think that I've made social media my beat because I think it is so important and I'm still wrapping my head around TikTok. What's amazing to me when you listen to these congressional hearings with a bunch of old white men mostly talking mm-hmm. about TikTok their greatest fear is that the Chinese are listening to us. Right. And it has nothing to do with anything that is actually happening on TikTok. The disinformation that spreads on TikTok or, you know, how, how people get any information on TikTok. They just, there's no grasp of what is actually happening. And I, I think I've got, a, I've got a six-year-old, a four-year-old and a one-year-old. I want to see media literacy classes, and by media literacy, I mean social media literacy classes, in schools as early as kindergarten. I do. I just think everyone needs to understand better what, what content we're constantly absorbing. Yeah, it's so true. And I think, you know, I I am not a neuroscientist, but I spend so much time now thinking about how the brain works with social media, how my brain works with social media. And I have tried to pay more attention now that I'm spending time on TikTok in particular, which is so fast paced. It's so engaging. It's so aggressive. And I told my husband the other day that I had spent like maybe an hour and a half on TikTok. I tried to just record my own videos and get off and not scroll too much. 
but I told him that it felt like there was a little fan in my head, like a computer fan, and it was overheating. Like it was the only way to describe how my brain felt, that I was just so awake, but also so completely zonked. And I just felt like I was a computer that was overheating. And I I think it's so interesting because I I think very fairly we talk about children. And I also think that adults don't have comprehension. Like, it's almost like we all missed, you know, when you think about how bad sex ed courses are, we don't even have the bare minimum for technology. And we're all moving through it, too. Like, I'm really curious to see what we're going to learn about our brains 100 years from now about how much we are changing in real time, whether it happens over multiple generations. But like the speed at which we are adjusting to social media is so quick in some ways. And in other ways, I think that we have no idea how resistant our brains are to it and how much it's damaging us because it just doesn't function with how we were designed to take in information. Absolutely. And I'm, I've am i been trying to find a neurologist and a neuroscientist to talk to me about that very thing, because I love the analogy that you just made, that your brain almost felt like it was overheating, because that is exactly what has been happening to me in the past four months. I've been on social media more than ever. My audience is probably sick of me saying this, but it's true because I'm a marketing monster for my book, um, and I'm doing so much of it on social because that is where eyeballs are. And it means that I have to be on Instagram more than ever. And my brain feels broken by the end of the day. Like, it just... It feels like it's been in overdrive. So the fan analogy is so good. I don't think, I mean, I know, I know for a fact without backing any of this up by science, because again, I am no expert. I am just a human being in the world, not claiming to be an expert like everyone else on social media claims to be an expert. But we were never meant to consume information at this pace or all of these kinds of information next to one another. That's what I was thinking about the other night. You know, we used to read a magazine and magazines were usually about one topic. Like you knew if you were picking up Time magazine, I'm going to read about news now or I'm going I'm going to pick up Vogue and look at very expensive dresses. And now the news is right next to the fashion, is right next to the how do you organize your fridge to look like a salad bar, is right next to the breastfeeding tips. All of this stuff was not meant to be in one place or given to us so quickly. Yeah, before I forget, there's an Ezra Klein episode about how we weren't even designed to learn how to read and how it basically came about that when we taught ourselves how to read, it opened up this new you know, area of her brain. And deep reading basically provides something that we were never even meant to like find out about ourselves. I'm going to send it to you because I think that it'll be interesting in terms of this topic. But but yeah, you know, I think it's it's almost like this is such a big topic and we've just barely begun to kind of dive into it. And so I think it's almost interesting to remember that like there are different there are different sections of the pie in terms of where to pay attention to. There's the worry about how it's shaping our brain, how how the way that social media is structured can actually change our attention spans and all of that. And then there's also the worry about mental health, about how the way that our, you know, our connection to famous people has kind of collapsed. And so you have accessed into their interiority in a way that you never had before. And it's also a fake interiority, right? It's only the idealized version of their lives. 
and that can make you super depressed. And then you have the other side, which is the consumerism of it all, like the capitalism of it all. And I'm so amazed when I engage with people on TikTok, the extent to which they don't think that people are selling them something. And that is like one of the most concerning things to me, because I think mental health is a luxury. Being able to pay attention to your mental health is a luxury. And that is something that is so tied to financial freedom. And you have so many women who are being advertised without their knowledge and spending their hard-worn, hard-won money without even realizing what just happened. Like it happens so fast on Instagram and social media. And you don't even realize that you have this like personal connection to the person. And you don't even realize that you go to their account and you're buying their stuff and that that's what's happening, that it's a sales exchange. And so that's, I think, the biggest concern for me at this point. Huge, 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 because there is no real transparency about you're looking at my life, but I'm also selling you something. And I, you know, I work with a lot of young women on my various projects. And one of them, you know, I would she would say that she spends a lot of time on TikTok. And in the past six months, we've had a conversation about how her consumption and her shopping has gotten out of control without her realizing it because of two things. One, she's being served these products on TikTok all the time. Two, it's easier than ever to buy these products because it's one-click shopping. And three, she can spend money she doesn't have. She doesn't even have a high credit limit. But now with the pay X dollars a month situations that go on with Klarna and all these other things without a credit card, she's been able to buy something for $3 a month that she's supposed to pay over three years, and she is massively in debt. Oh my God, I have so much empathy for that. I have dealt with credit card debt at certain points in my life, and it's such a real thing. And I think you know, buying and and consumption is always about the emotion of it. Like that's always been the case when you walk into a Williams Sonoma and you think, you know, my life could feel as organized as this Williams Sonoma would if I only had the cutting board. But I think that what we are dealing with now is it's almost, you know, I don't mean to say this in a negative way, but it's like we're not up for the task of competing with this level of manipulation without no. really, really intense education. Like I think about ballerina farm or kim kardashian or any of these huge influencers who do such a profoundly effective job who with their you know their employees create such a profoundly idealized version of being alive that i don't blame anyone who buys the hundred dollar sourdough starter kit or who buys you know the six hundred dollar skincare product because it's so hard for us to combat that on our own. Like, it's so hard to overcome that level of manipulation with the tools that we have, which is close to nothing. You know, like this happens also. I think a huge thing to remember is that it happens quietly. Like most people don't talk about this. You're usually buying this product or watching these people at 9 p.m. at night alone in your bed when you're, you know, alone or your partner's gone to sleep. And so there's no conversation about it the way that there might be if a family is watching, you know, commercials in front of a TV. So I think that that's another challenge with it. So, so many challenges. The fact that we've just named 20 different challenges in the <laughs> past five minutes, that's what's terrifying to me. I want to dive into all of this. I, per I, in particular, want to talk about Ballerina Farm. Thank you for mentioning her because I was about to mention her. But first, we're going to take a quick break. 
because we're going to try to sell you stuff. Nice. We are back. I want to talk about your most watched TikTok video. It's pinned to your to your TikTok feed. Yes, and I learned how to pin. I o- I also recently learned how to pin. <laughs> I did. I did. And I felt I was humiliated. so smart. <laughs> so smart. Um, now, this is, it's been viewed 2.5 million times. Yeah. That's a lot of eyeballs on your face. It is. It is a lot of eyeballs. It's pretty humbling um, whenever I try to actually quantify what that means, honestly. Right? Yeah. I mean, it just like, I can't even, because even if, and we know the TikTok numbers are skewed, right? Someone Mm -hmm. can start a video and not watch a video or whatever. But even if 10% of those people watch the video, that's a lot of human beings. It is. It's, it's, It's kind of a meta thing, if you think about it, that I have started talking about these brands. And I'm a writer just like you are. And so we're always thinking about like, all right, if I can sell a book and then get 10,000 copies sold, that is a major, major success to get your message across for that many people. And I have been thinking about that so much recently that my goal is always to become a novelist. And at the same time, the world is changing. And right now I'm speaking to more people than, than will ever buy any book that I sell. And so it's 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 been very meta to kind of experience that where it's like I'm I am a person who wants to make a living sharing my thoughts. And by talking about like the the social media of it all, I'm accessing more people than I probably would through a book. It's it's very weird. You can really overthink it very quickly. Don't I'm going to tell you right now, do not overthink it. Also, when we stop recording, tell me all about your novel and let's get that. Shit pu- let's get that shit shit published. Um. But I have the same feelings because my podcast, this podcast that we're on right now, reaches hundreds of thousands of people. And yet, you know, the good sales for a book, only 5% of all books in the world will sell 5,000 plus copies. Mm-hmm. When we talk about, so for pre-orders for the Sicilian Inheritance right now, I'm not supposed to talk about numbers. Like no one in publishing talks about numbers, but I have no filter anymore because I just don't give a shit. Oh, hell yeah. Right? I'm like, what's the point? What's the point of acting like this is all magic and a secret? So we're close to a thousand pre-orders of the Sicilian Inheritance. And that's huge. It's actually huge um, because, you know, my last few books, which did very well, but before they were on sale, we were only at about 90 pre-orders. So like this is a big number and it's all because of our audience on this podcast and because I'm a marketing monster asking people to buy it all of the time. Of course, of course. But when you think about a thousand people reading a book versus 2.5 million people viewing a TikTok, you know where the influence really lies. Oh, absolutely. And, I, you know, it's funny. I've gotten a lot of comments from these people saying, you should do a newsletter or you should do a podcast and kind of tongue in cheek. But I'm like, you don't want me to start a podcast. You don't want me to start a newsletter. If I read an essay, only a quarter of you will read it. This is where you are, you know. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And I think people are slowly realizing that shift, which is like, no, I, I gave you everything I would say, you know, in this longer essay. And it's ironic because I am doing a few essays about it. But it is really interesting because there's no way 2.5 million people are going to read the essay. You know, short form is an effective way to have some of these conversations. And so, yeah. And this, know, and this is and this is where they are. I actually I had a male writer 
who I like a lot, reach out to me and say, hey, I've had success on TikTok. I should definitely start a podcast now. And I was like, your TikTok audience isn't coming, isn't going to listen to your podcast. And right. he was shocked. And I know that he's going to do it anyway. And I was just like, I promise you, it doesn't convert that way. Yeah. Yeah, it's true. But I think that the ideal situation, though, is I, I don't know. I mean, it, just to say, like, I have been such a fan of your podcast for so long. And I think that what happens is you gain a more dedicated viewer and and the viewer who is or the listener who's listening to this episode to me is so much more valuable and tuned in and interested in the conversation than someone who has sent maybe a video of mine, not to, you know, tear down my video. I'm proud of it. But it is something where it's like the benefit of my video is that I was connected to you, you know, and now we're having a more in-depth conversation versus whatever two and two or three minute, which is really just like the opening page of a much bigger conversation about ballerina farm and branding and all the in-between. Totally. And what I'm hoping is that through the TikTok interactions, through the Instagram reel in interactions, then we can move people into a bigger conversation. And that's yeah. what I what I think we have to try to be doing. And again, that is part of the media literacy of people understanding just the different the different ways people consume these different mediums. Right. Yeah, I totally agree. Um, so, all right, I want to go back to your 2.5 million view, viewer-viewed um, <laughs> TikTok, um, where th this is a crash course in media literacy and ballerina farm. And so many people, I would say probably about 50 people, sent me this video. It, I mean, it made the rounds, and it made the rounds of of really smart, engaged listeners and readers. And I just, I want you to tell me a little bit, give me like the TL, TLDR. Is, did I use that right? You did it so smoothly. Thank you. It's like, <laughs> it it's, like when I, it's like when I tried to start using slide into your DMs and people are like, you need to stop. You no, know. it was effortless. Thank you. Thank you. Give me the TLDR about what you said in this TikTok. Yeah, so I, by that point, had been talking about Ballerina Farm and about kind of the trad wife rise kind of randomly, um, just in a series of TikToks where I would share a thought that I had and then respond to a commenter. And what I was starting to notice is that people used the term Ballerina Farm, which, you know, I'm sure most people who listen to this know this, but Ballerina Farm is the name of an account, right? And mm -hmm. then they would also use the name of the woman who was featured in the account. And they would use it interchangeably, interchangeably between Hannah Nealman and Ballerina Farm. And it started to occur to me that this was kind of the crux of the problem. And it was also causing a lot of the miscommunications between people who didn't understand what I was talking about when I said that this person is intentional. You know, this branding is intentional. It's bigger than a person. And so I kind of realized that I had, you know, missed the first step of the staircase by not differentiating and saying we need to be really intentional when you say the, the, you know, the term ballerina farm, we are talking about an account under which at least a dozen people work. You know, whether it whether you're including the nannies, whether you're including the people who are helping film the reels that are recorded on these accounts, whether you're talking about the children who are exploited in these accounts, whether you're talking about, you know, Hannah Nealman and her husband, who are the main characters in these accounts. I, I really wanted to break that down and to clarify that Ballerina Farm is a brand and Hannah Nealman is a person. And what we know and what we can talk about is the brand. You can talk about the messaging. You can talk about what's being sold. You can talk about the image and what it might mean or not mean and how effortlessly or not effortlessly it was put together. 
but you are only ever talking about the brand. You do not know the person. You know only a fragment of what she has chosen to show within the context of the brand. Um, I can keep talking, but do you want me to, I can pause there. I mean, I just like listening to you because I'm I'm just sitting here nodding and nodding and nodding because I've tried to make this differentiation so many times in my newsletter, on this podcast, on social media. We can talk about Ballerina Farm. And I try, I try to use um an it when I talk mm. about Ballerina Farm to to separate it from the humanness of their family. This it's a media brand. Think about it like you would NBC or Vogue or you know, and don't we shouldn't anthropomorphize it either. Um, it is a brand that is selling you things, primarily meat. And that's, yep. that's that's actually what I love the most about it. It's like, oh, my husband, who doesn't understand any of this, God bless his soul. It's probably why I'm married to him. He's like, I don't understand what what do they want me to buy? And I was like, mostly pork. meat, pork, <laughs> pork, pigs, pigs is what they want. What they want. Um, but anytime I mention Ballerina Farm, the brand, I get commenters saying, "Why are you shaming this nice young farmer lady?" Oh yeah. Yeah, you know, I think I would, something that I've been trying to say too more recently is that the most freeing part about making this distinction and moving forward from that foundation of distinguishing between individuals and brands is that you get to let go of a lot of the morality that we assign around talking about people. And more specifically, Mm -hmm. a lot of the, you know, well-intentioned morality about talking about women that we can't shame other women, you know, like the, the choice feminism of it all, that any decision a woman makes is empowered. If she if this individual has made decisions, she should be empowered to be happy. And if you're not happy for her, you're jealous. And once you I, I spent a lot of time stuck in that muck, right, like having arguments about, you know, why it's OK to be jealous. And, and then I just realized I'm not I'm not I'm not rising high enough. You know, like we need to be having a way different conversation about this. And so when you start talking about the brand versus the person, I notice that a lot of the emotions shift, right? Because people can't get as self-righteous and defensive of a brand. And then I'll say, yeah, I have no problem with Hannah Nealman. I don't know her. Neither of us know her. We're arguing about the brand. And it can kind of really change the tenor of a conversation in what I think is like a super instructive and positive and healthy way. Absolutely. Absolutely. And that is... To me, the media literacy 101 of this, yeah. the, the, that these accounts on social media are brands. And it's so freeing, too, for women who feel anxiety or feel shame from looking at accounts that are you know, seemingly perfect or a certain kind of body or a certain kind of house or a certain kind of parent. And when you realize, oh, it's, it's a brand, they're, 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 they're making me a little magazine is what they're making me. I, that is how I let go of a lot of my personal anxiety about social media. It's like the social media doesn't give me anxiety anymore because it makes me feel less than. It's just because all of the images and all of the information is breaking my brain at this point. But yes, that is that that is the very, very essence of this. Ballerina Farm is a brand. And it's not just a brand. It's a brand with 8.5 million followers and just putting that in perspective is 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 crazy you don't get 8.5 million people watching nearly any single show any single prestige television show at this point that that 
production companies are spending millions of dollars on. And yet she's got 8.5 million people tuning into this account. Like It is mine. It. It has. And see, I slip up, too. It has 8.5 million people tuning into this yeah. account. And that number has risen exponentially only in the last two years. Yeah, it's I mean, it's I think I said this in the video, it's a larger population than a number of countries. Right. And I think that that's another thing that social media has kind of done to flatten our brains is that we look at numbers and it's hard to quantify them. It's really hard to engage with them. It's easy to think about 500 people in a room. It's much harder to conceptualize what 8 million people is. You know, it's, it's so hard to even quantify. even half of them are bots. Like, who cares? It's a huge, huge number. And I agree with you. I think that I think that we have a really hard time engaging with parasocial relationships. And I, I think that that has kind of become a little bit like a buzzwordy term in a way that makes me cringe. But it's true. Like when you're watching someone's account, you develop an attachment to it and you do it because it's designed for you to like you have I you know, I talk a lot on my Instagram stories. I'll do like cameras to the face. And I have people who don't know me who will message and be like, oh, my God, classic Caro, you know, because they think they know me because I've given a portion of myself to the Internet. And it's this it feels like you're FaceTiming a friend. And the same is true of, of any influencer, I think. And I think that another thing that I try to distinguish is that when you talk about a brand, then you also get to cut through the argument a lot of people make, which is. Well, that's what everyone does. Everyone on social media is presenting a version of themselves. So why are you so upset at her? To which I say, not everyone is trying to run a brand, you know, and there are there's a conversation to be had about the way in which most people curate their feeds, regardless of how they use social media. But I think that you lose a lot of the really essential nuance about when you're being sold something. If you don't make the distinction of like, but they're not trying to be a brand. Once there is a brand in place, once this is operated by multiple people and selling something, it's a totally different conversation. And it's essential to kind of make that leap and to help people be like, oh, I actually have a lot of really strong emotions about this account. I wonder why it is. I think it, it's because I feel, I mean, Taylor Swift is a great example. You feel so close to her. You feel so attached to her that it feels like an intimate relationship because she's a really good businesswoman. She's good at doing her job. And I think that I often have to kind of step back and be like, I don't love her. I love her music. And that's a that's a portion of her. But I, I can't attach my emotions to this person that I've never met. Right. Because you don't know her. I, right. I think I think back to I wrote this book, God, like 12 years ago now called Celebrity Inc. about, you know, it was economic case studies of how famous people make money. And it was just as. The Kardashians were like just coming up. Instagram didn't even exist at that point. Charlie Sheen had just gotten paid for the first sponsored tweet. And this is in the dark ages, essentially. But one thing that we talked about was the fact that television stars were better at selling you things than movie stars. Because television stars came into your home and that felt so much more intimate because you watch friends on this screen that's in your house than, you know, you go to the movie theater to see the movie stars and they felt very removed. So television stars did very well with brand deals for things like lean cuisine and Nutrisystem and water and skin products. 
because they felt like your friend. And I think about that all the time when I think about how much closer to you influencers are. They're not just on a screen in your home. They're in your hand. It's so true. And it's so funny that you say that because I've actually been trying to like dig through newspaper archives because whenever I have like this sneaking suspicion that a new aspect of technology is ruining the world, I'm like, someone has definitely felt exactly this way about an earlier version of this technology. And I'm I have a hunch that if I were to find the right op-ed or, or article around the time that most people were buying televisions, mm-hmm. then there would be there would be people who were concerned that the television would be like a, com- a compression of the mind that we are not able to process and that therefore is at risk of selling us things without our consent. Because that's my argument about influencers, right, is that our brains are not formulated to to understand at a fast enough speed what's happening when we look at something on our phone. And I look at television as like, well, we understand that now. And I'm sure that 30 or 40 or 50 years ago, someone would be arguing, no, we didn't understand. that, You know, and we're when you think about the way in which we talk about technology at this point, we're about 30 years behind. Like I, I, we have had close to no movement on social media regulation, let alone substantive conversations about, you know, at Congress. And so we are falling farther and farther behind. And, you know, TikTok is only going to become more addictive and then there's going to be a more competitive rival and it's moving at the speed of light, you know. And so I, I feel like we're falling farther away from the truth rather than, you know, clawing towards it. Absolutely. Absolutely. And I, I did some of this research when I was working on, on Celebrity Inc. And yes, there have been concerns about every form of media since, since media began. I did not go all the way back to the Gutenberg printing press. But I'm sure there were there were issues there. Okay, was for sure drama during that there time period. There was for sure drama. Okay, but yes, with the rise of radio and then with the rise of television, and you know, obviously also with the rise of of the internet, there there have been concerns, and very valid concerns too about the mental health aspects of those things. And yet, and yet, and yet, I would argue that what we're dealing with now is worse than those things because exactly as you said it is faster than ever before it is more compressed than ever before and it's i think it's also more isolating than ever before i look at tv and movies and they still feel like a very social thing for most people you know we would all be watching the same tv shows mostly when i was growing up at least back in the dark ages and we would talk about them. Like there was there was a communal conversation. Now everyone is watching their own thing. And you're you're very isolated when you're viewing these things most of the time. So again, I just I, I we've got we've got to find us a neuro, neuroscientist. You will you come back on when I find us the right neuroscientist? Oh my god, I would love that. I'm gonna we're gonna we'll do like a public call for them. I'm sure that they spend all their time on TikTok. I'll find one. Okay, you will find you will put it out on TikTok. I'm putting it out on this podcast right now. If you're a neuroscientist listening to us right now, can you just DM me on the on the we, platform that I hate? We know you're out there and we know that you're a woman because there are many of them. So we have to find them. We have to find them. We're going to find them. Okay, we are going to take one more quick break and then I want to hear about the comments that you got to your media criticism of Ballerina Farm. Mm-hmm. 
Okay, so you so you post this video. It gets 2.5 million views. You are very rightly talking about how Ballerina Farm is a brand. What are the comments like? You know, it's interesting. That video, out of all the videos I shared about Ballerina Farm, were, I think, had the fewest uh, or had the lowest register of animosity. I honestly think that there was something about the there was something about the clarity of the message and the the shortness. Like I was only saying one thing. And I think often in videos, my videos are often, you know, four to five minutes long. And so I'll talk about a lot of things. But I think that I was so consistent about one thing that I think a lot of people were kind of um, like stunned. Like I, I really mm-hmm. think that most of most of the comments were either surprised, like people hadn't thought of it that way, or a kind of neutered indignation of repeating the thing that I had just said on the video. But mm. I think that it was it was interesting because that I had had a lot of of anger directed at me whenever I talked about Ballerina Farm. A lot of, you know, women against women. Why can't we rise above? A lot of like pseudo feminist speak. Um, yeah. yeah, I you and, know what? I, so I, 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 I hate to interrupt you, but I have to say yeah. I did, too. And I want to talk about that because it made me feel terrible for Mm. days like Mm. in the beginning when the first time the first few times that I posted about ballerina farm I got the same comments you're jealous why would you shame another woman why would you take down another woman and that's just so antithetical to everything I believe in the world and that I try to put out into the world that I went to a dark freaking place because of these comments I felt terrible I questioned everything that I was doing, I thought about maybe not talking about this brand any longer. How did you feel when you read those? I mean, terrified, I think, is the first answer I would give. I think I, I think that there is a level of mortification that comes with sharing your thoughts online. And you and I have both been doing it in different ways for a long time, but I had never I had never shared cultural criticism before. Like that just wasn't Mm -hmm. what I did on Instagram. I shared my personal writing, which really didn't engender any sort of anger. So first and foremost, I felt terrified. It was like, I don't know if this is what being canceled feels like. I, you know, Mm. I don't know. I don't know what the consequences are. You know, I think. Mm -hmm. And then and then within that, you yeah, you, you feel. I feel I felt afraid. I felt like I didn't know. I didn't know for a moment if I was wrong or right. And then when I sat with it. I think the first thought I had was, why are we, why is jealousy inherently a term that has moral bad? You know what I mean? Like, like first and foremost, I was like, why am I so upset when someone's saying I'm jealous? Because to a certain extent, I am. We're all jealous. You know, like I, I am envious of the life within this platform, which is one of the driving factors why I'm talking about it. Of course I am. That's why I paid attention to the account to begin with. Like parasocial relationships are founded on some level of jealousy, of wanting what someone else claims to have that you don't have. You know, if my life felt and looked like a ballerina farm reel, I would not be looking at ballerina farm. And so once I broke that down and kind of took the the morality out of it, that was one of the things I wanted to address, which was Jealousy shouldn't end the conversation, and it's often used as an accusation between women as a way to silence them. The idea of you are jealous and therefore your thoughts are not valid by nature of the fact that you're jealous. It's like this really circular logic pattern. And so something I said in another video was you can be jealous and also still have a good point. 
So like, let's put aside whether I'm jealous or not, because it's really irrelevant. But if you are, if you do feel envy, that does not suddenly delegitimize everything else you're feeling. It is designed. It is content that's designed to make you envious. And so if you're feeling that, then it probably means that you're involved in the content in some way and you should be a part of the conversation as opposed to like dismissing it for a bunch of men who don't watch the account, aren't moved by it because it's not for them and therefore aren't able to see all of the ways in which it's manipulating people. Yeah, absolutely. And I love what you just said about jealousy because I, I talked about this in the early episodes of Under the Influence and the underpinnings of early advertising were all about aspiration. And it is, is, you know, a basis of capitalism that we are being sold to aspire to a class that we perceive is just above us. And it's that perception that someone is a class above us that like really gets us to buy things. Right. And and I think that's where social media gets weird because we don't know the real economics of anything. You know, like someone could look like they have a gorgeous house and it could just be one gorgeous corner of like not even their 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 house, but like, you know, a, a space they found to make look like their house, right? Or so it can go and it can go either way. Someone can look so much wealthier than we are and then we aspire to that. Or someone can look just like we are or a class below us. I would argue that the Ballerina Farm brand um, cosplays poverty quite a bit, despite the fact that they have so much money coming from an airline. Um and we just don't know. It's uh, there's so much smoke and mirrors that it's hard to tell the reality behind any of it. Yeah, it's you know it's such an interesting time to be alive uh, because there has never been more information and more communication amongst millions of people about what it is actually like to live right now, right? Like we have so much more information. There's such a big labor revolution taking place in part because of social media conversations. It's so much easier than it has ever been to understand how systems work and to learn about them and to know, like there's, you know, a really silly example of this is, but like all of the humorous uh, like trends that go through social media about being broke. Like people are so aware about how credit card debt is happening and how Starbucks is so expensive and blah, 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 like all these different ways in which to understand how difficult certain aspects of life are right now. And at the same time, there has never been more sophisticated technology to create more curated versions of a humanity that doesn't exist. And so you're caught between these two like overwhelming parallels between a reality which is really, really hard to face, which is the reality of, I don't know if I'm going to retire. I don't know, you know, what the, what, I don't know if the two party system is going to last in America. Like there are so many issues politically, socially, medically that people don't know are going to resolve themselves. And at the same time, you are, you are being offered these utopias and you know that they're not real. But even the knowledge that they're not real, I will say, doesn't necessarily take away their pleasure. And that's something that I think I want to talk about more frequently, that the awareness that something is fraudulent doesn't necessarily take away the pleasure of watching it. 
And so you don't necessarily solve things by suddenly keying into what's going on. Like it still feels good. Like if I look at a ballerina farm reel, I still get little, you know, a little endorphin hits because it's still pleasurable mm -hmm. to watch. And so I just try to be aware of the endorphin hits when I watch, you know, an influencer or a friend who seems to have a cooler life than me and just kind of in almost like a meditative way, just try to be aware of it. Be like, oh, that's making my brain feel good right now. That's interesting. Like, let's keep that data for later. Totally. And that is the whole point. I'm so glad we circled back to this. It's the whole point of media literacy in general is really a mindfulness of it, right? Because just, oh, hey, I am enjoying this. But yeah, I mean, I, I, I kind of I know why I'm enjoying this. Like, oh, I, I felt this looking at that. And, but I, I'm kind of keyed into it. It just makes us pause. And in the same way, I, I, I would compare this, you know, to, to substance abuse, too. When I'm more mindful about drinking, and I've been doing, I, I did dry January, which, which was great, and kind of a damp February. I just went out, went out for my, my first, like, date night. We went to uh, a um, birthday party in the suburbs. But I'm a, I'm a little more mindful when I drink. I'm like, oh, I just got that jolt of, like, that, like woohoo, I am loose <laughs> and I'm fun. But I noticed it. Just right. because I had had that, had like a little bit more literacy around, you know, what I was doing with this substance. And it's the same thing with social media. Like if we understand it, if we talk about it, if we just pause, I think then it's healthier for all of us than the mindless scroll. Yeah, I totally agree. And I think it it's so funny because... I feel constantly like I'm running the risk of sounding to someone who doesn't necessarily agree with what I'm saying or or is keyed into social media yet, like a conspiracy theorist. Because oh, basically yeah. what you're saying, you know, is like, I I believe very firmly that there is no, you cannot possibly overestimate the impact that the social media channels and algorithms have on our culture, on our politics, on our spending patterns, on our relationships. It is impossible to overstate how big of a deal they are. It is like the single, the single biggest force, I think, moving forward for humanity is social media. And I believe that really strongly. Um, and so I think I kind of try to think that like there is no the, the, the box, the box is open. Pandora's box is open. We will never be going backwards in terms of technology, no matter how concerned or afraid we might be of the technology in question. And so I think trying to trying to slow down your speed with an algorithm that is designed to make you move as quickly as possible is one of the single best tools that any individual can do without, you know, any any money, without changing your behaviors, anything like that. And so, yeah, I think it's super important to remember that like the single most powerful thing that you can do is put your phone down even for a second. And mm -hmm. if you've done that, you should reward yourself. Yes. And and you should remember that this is not easy. Like, that's another thing that I try to communicate. Like, this is the hardest thing that you will ever do is try to have a healthy relationship with social media. And it's only going to become more difficult. So having like patience and empathy and love for yourself and for others with the way that they engage with it is, I think, super essential. Totally. Totally. We are on the same page. I do find myself worrying that I sound more and more like a conspiracy theorist every day because I'm like, this is the single most important issue that I will tackle 
as a parent in my lifetime. I, I went so far, I've talked about this before on the show, as I was convinced that I was going to go back to school and get a PhD in communication studies from the same college where I got an undergrad degree in communication studies, but go through, oh, go through the, go through the whole process. Because I was also like, you know, I'm not just gonna, gonna try to do this willy nilly. Like I need to understand like all of the underpinnings of, 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 you know, the history of communication and then use that to create media literacy programs for K through 12 and try to influence the government. This was my big idea that I had. Meanwhile, I'm proud. I'm proud just listening. I still and I still believe in it, but I don't think that um, the academic institutions are game for it right now. I don't I don't necessarily think that the majority of schools want to tackle this yet. So please tackle this with me. I, I now I'm right now I'm just going to do it through my podcast and maybe I'll start doing it on the TikTok. But I, I think about it with my six year old all the time. One of our babysitters is on their phone too much. And, you know, that's. Something that's something else to tackle, but what? So when he sees me pick up my phone now, he's like, "Oh, are you on TikTok?" And I was like, "How the fuck do you know what TikTok is?" And he's like, "Oh, because <laughs> she's on it all the time." And so then I show him TikTok, and we scroll through, and I'm like, "There's some funny things on here. It's a lot of crap." I describe most of YouTube as crap to him. Again, I'm giving him like a very bad potty mouth, and I also don't care. I'm like, I really don't care if you say crap. Um, and but I don't think. It's not going to be useful to hide any of this from them. I also don't know. I think it's important not to give kids phones until a certain age, but also like you can't keep you 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 can't keep this stuff away from them. So because they're also seeing you stare at your goddamn phone all of yeah. the time, right? Without knowing the thing that scares me the most, and the way I try to describe this is when I saw my parents read a newspaper, I knew what thing they were doing. They were consuming news. Or if I right. saw them watching a tv show again i knew what they were consuming because you can see it when we stare at our phone they don't know if we're reading an article if we're buying something if i'm texting their dad they just don't know they just see us stare at a screen and so they'll model that but without knowing the functionality of how we're using it unless we talk to them about it all the time it's that's such a good point i really never thought of it that way but you're so right and I, I also think, you know, something that I think is one of the things that I'm proudest of about my relationship is that we really make a point to not have our phones. And it was easy at first when it was like the honeymoon phase of being oh, obsessed yeah. with each yeah. other. And now it's something that we really have to call each other out on and say, hey, you know, please put your phone down. And I, I think that that is I think that it's a strategy, a strategy that some people take is to diminish the power of the phone and be mm -hmm. like, well, it doesn't matter. And I think that I don't have children yet, but my thought when I talk to friends or to you or to children is, is to understate or, or like emphasize the power of it and to, and to try to show at least through my actions, if not my words, that like I have to be very intentional about it and that it's not something that can be treated casually. It's something to be taken as seriously as driving a car. Like this is a serious thing and it has a bunch of different functions and you will engage with various different functions at different points in your life with it. And in some ways, the usage of it is kind of stigmatized. Like something I was thinking about is that watching like a ballerina farm Instagram story is kind of like in the Venn diagram between watching television and watching porn. Like yeah. people won't necessarily admit that they're doing it all the time. Mm -mm. And that makes it really hard for people to have honest conversations about how much time they're spending on their phones because there's shame in it. There's shame in being addicted to these 
influencers and to these content streams, even though all of us are addicted to them. Exactly, exactly. And I think that's why so many people like listening to this podcast, because we're finally talking about all of it. We're talking about the things that we all actually do, right? Like, we just can't ignore them anymore. Right. Oh, I could talk to you forever, but I have to pee. It's, I know. I'm so, I'm so grateful that we spoke about this. It's honestly such a pleasure. I absolutely love the work that you're doing. And it's just, it's, I feel like it's a never-ending topic that is changing as we do and as social media does. So it's it's kind of the perfect thing to spend a lot of time focusing on. It is. Well, you're going to become one of my regulars. You're going to come back on the show. Um, tell everyone where they can find you. Where they can find me. If you are brave enough to enter TikTok, you can look up Kara Claire Burke or on Instagram on Kara Claire Burke. And then, yeah, that's kind of what I do on social media. And that's where I share my various my various writing pursuits. And that's all we have for today. I loved this episode. I love the metaphor that your brain feels like it's overheating, that the fan has gone on in your brain when you've been on social media too long. And now, trust me, you're not going to be able to get that out of your head. You're going to be scrolling and be like, oh, the fan has gone on. Time for me to stop. Thanks for being with us today. If you love us, leave a review, share us with your friends. And we are very, very close to reaching my goal, my pre-order goal for the Sicilian Inheritance for February. So if you order it now and send me a receipt, you will get a free lifetime subscription to our Over the Influence newsletter. Again, Sicilian Inheritance, the best book of the summer, is available for pre-order now. And I would just love for you to be one of the first people to have it. Go have a great day. Do something nice for yourselves. You deserve it.